For Lord, you have not only created this world by your breath, but Lord, you have saved us and you have provided for us all that we need for life and for godliness. Lord, there is nothing throughout our lives that we have that is not by your hands. And so, Lord, teach us to know that we depend upon you. So, Lord, it is easy for us to take things for granted, to take that which we have as if something that we attained ourselves. But, Lord, it is you who, has been, who is our maker and our provider. You know, Father, we pray that our eyes would always be upon you, that we would set our mind upon you, our thoughts upon you, so that wherever we walk on this earth and whatever we go through, whatever trials and testings that we face, no matter whether we are with many people or whether we are by ourselves, that we will always learn to look to you. Father, you are faithful to your people. You're faithful to your promises. We ask that you would help us, in light of who you are, to put our trust in you. Thank you, God, for this time to look into your word now. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher, guide us into your truths, help us understand uh, this book of Numbers so that we would uh, see how it sets for us principles and truths and examples for us to follow, that we might become the people of God that you wish us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, uh, as you can see, uh, we are beginning a new series this week uh, in the book of Numbers, so it's very exciting. But before we look to Numbers this morning, I'd like to, for a, a scripture reading this morning, I'm going to read a different passage in the New Testament, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 13. And Paul writes these words to the Corinthian church. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness." Now, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also 
so that you will be able to endure it. Today, uh, we begin our study in the book of Numbers, and um, you may be uh, wondering uh, if, uh, if you haven't heard me explain it uh, before, why I chose to preach from this book, this book of Numbers. Uh, let me, I'm just curious right now, just raise some hands, how many of you ever heard a sermon series through the book of Numbers in your lifetime? Anybody? Bible school, maybe? Class? Okay. Uh, uh, how many of you know where the book of Numbers is? Okay, no, okay you know where that is, right? Okay, good. Uh, it's the fourth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So you can turn there with me. We're going to really, we're going to jump all over Numbers today. It's, 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 today's more like a Sunday school class. If you've ever been in our OT survey class when we walk through Numbers, this is going to be sim- something similar today. So it's, it's a more of an introductory class, sermon class on the book of Numbers for us. But why did I choose this book? Uh, as many of you know, I've been alternating preaching uh, ever since I can, uh, probably a decade or two now, uh, basically between Old and New Testament. I kind of preach an Old Testament book, then I preach New Testament, then Old Testament, New Testament. And since I just completed Luke, Luke I thought I'm due for an Old, Test- Old Testament book. Uh, if you recall, the last Old Testament book I preached was Isaiah, which was a major prophet. So I want to switch to a different genre. So instead of from prophetical books, I wanted to do some historical narratives. And the historical narratives, there are, you know, there are 17 uh, books in that category. I wanted to focus particularly on the first five, the books of Moses. Now, I had already preached on Genesis about probably two decades ago. Uh, so I did, and I, I thought Exodus, well, maybe Exodus. Leviticus, well, no, I don't think you could, we could, I don't think I could handle Leviticus. So uh, let's try Numbers. And number, uh, so, well, so I landed on, I chose Numbers. But I have reasons for choosing numbers, and they're they're relevant for us. I think uh, uh, they're kind of just more so, sort of they were just sort of the thoughts that came to my mind as I thought about what numbers is about and 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 for us today. And and here's sort of the re- some of the reasons I chose numbers for, for three. I'll share with you three reasons because numbers is about a people wandering around in the wilderness. Wandering around the wilderness, kind of uh, basically aimless, lost, experiencing things for the first time, not knowing what to expect. And I thought, well, during this pandemic, I have felt like we have been, as a church, been wandering in the wilderness, experiencing things for the first time, not knowing what to expect, and really forced to depend upon God in the wilderness. And the lessons that the Israelites learned on their wilderness wanderings are lessons for us as we wander in these pilgrim days. I also chose Numbers because it's about a people, a group of people, the the Israelites, who had the law of God. In fact, it was real fresh for them. They had just received it. They had the law of God, and on top of that, they had the presence of God. And we're going to see that. But still, often, as we're going to see in Numbers, they failed the Lord. You can just imagine having the word of God and then having the presence of God is so close, so in your midst, a constant daily reminder, as we'll see, and yet they still fail. And I believe uh, there are relevant lessons on this theme for San Francisco Bible. Lastly, I I chose Numbers because Numbers is a tale of two generations. It's a tale of two generations, one that is passing on, and another that is rising up. You know, like it or not, this church is going through a transition between generations. Uh, the first generation are now in their 70s, around there, 70s. And uh, though they may have about 15 years, so, uh, you know, if you follow Social Security uh, estimates uh, on their lifespan, um, there, is a, uh, there is a need for the next generation to begin rising up 
to take on the, the mantle of, of initiative and leadership in, 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 in disciple-making, in service, in ministry within the church. And uh, there, may, there needs to be that passing on from one generation to other. And, and so the truths, and so as I think about it, the truths that each generation needs really doesn't change. The first generation needed the same truths as the, the, second, the next generation because it's God's word. But each generation always needs to hear God's word anew. They can't just assume it. Oh, that's what you know, the older generation followed. Let, and let's, so we're going to hold on to that. We can't just assume because we have a statement of faith that that's what the second generation is going to believe. We must teach the word of God, not a statement of faith. We must teach the Bible, teach about Jesus, so that our second generation, our next generation, will know. We must teach God. And we're going to see that in the in Numbers, how the next generation is taught, again, the Word of God, uh, relevant passages uh, for them, so that they would be challenged where they, when they're presented with the Word of God, they must then challenge to put their faith in God. And so for these three reasons, among others, I, I've chosen this book, this book of Numbers. In a general sense, the things that, uh, as we look at big picture numbers, it's, a, it's even as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, the things that happen to the Israelites are meant to be an example for us. They're meant to be examples for you and me. When we, just as we read in 1 Corinthians, sins that the Israelites experienced in the wilderness, idolatry, immorality, questioning the Lord, grumbling, those are sins that still plague God's people today. They're characteristic of, of my life and probably yours. Well, not probably, I'm just being kind. Yes, yours too. These are sins that we all, in different aspects of life, will be tempted to wrestle with because we're, though, though time has taken place, though 3,400 years later since the Israelites wandered the wilderness, people have not really changed. But neither has God. And God, as we read in the scriptures, is faithful. Though we experience temptations, it's no really different from the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness 3,400 years ago. But God is faithful through it all. And the faithful God that we see in Numbers is the faithful God that we have today. And the faithful God who will always, in the midst of temptation, provide the way of escape for us. We just have to look for it and follow his ways. In this book, we learn both of the faithfulness of God and the need for faith of, in God in the wilderness of life. And so that's kind of, and that's really the, uh, what I would describe as the, uh, the, out, the theme of, uh, of Numbers, the faithfulness of God and the need for faith in God in the wilderness of life. So we're going to look at just four basic introductory matters today as an outline, so a really exciting outline today, uh, four introductory matters that equip us for further study of this book of Numbers. So it's going to equip us, hopefully they'll uh, encourage you, you know, something that may, you might not have known before, and uh, help you just gain a little different perspective as we read this book and study this book together. So first of all, as we look to this book, Numbers, we're going to look at the Source. I'm going to spend most of my time, I believe, on the first and second points, and the third and fourth are really short and brief, but first and second. The source of numbers. Where does the, the source of this scripture of numbers come from? And if we look at, go back to numbers and flip all the way to numbers, chapter 1, verse 1, you'll read there in the first verse of numbers these words. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, and that's a, that's, this is a great verse to kind of launch our sermon from. The book of Numbers begins with the words, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. The Hebrew title of uh, the book of Numbers is oftentimes the first word, and, and the first word is, And the Lord spoke. And the Lord spoke, and that's a very fitting. Sometimes, uh, some places, the, uh, the Hebrew name is In the Wilderness. They chose the fifth word. But uh, the Lord spoke is a very good title. Numbers actually comes from the, it comes from the, uh, the Latin translation. Uh, uh, when Jerome translated the, the, uh, when the Septuagint uh, with translation of the Old Testament, the, someone named it Arithmoi. And then when Jerome trans- made it a Latin translation, or in fact, Greek to a Latin, uh, Jerome said he called it uh, numeroi, numeroi, so in which we get numbers. And that's sort of stuck because of the numbers that we'll see here in this book. And that's not a bad title, too, because the numbers are significant, at least these first two uh, senses that we find in the book. Anyways, the book, book of Numbers begins with these words. And so the, we learn that there are, there are essentially two sources of this book of Numbers. The primary source is the Lord himself. It's the Lord spoke. The Lord's name here is it's capitalized, so that tells you that uh, it's the Lord, name of the Lord, Yahweh, or sometimes uh, in an old school way we call it, say, Jehovah, uh, but it's the Lord's name. It's his, the Almighty, sometimes it's translated. It's his name that, is, uh, that, is, uh, that is, uh, uh, emphasizes the first subject of this book. His name, in fact, appears quite often in this book, more than many of the other books of the law, nearly 400 times in this book. And almost all the reference involving the Lord, his name, will involve the Lord speaking, the Lord commanding, the Lord saying. I mean, you're just going to read it. If you read the book, it says, the Lord spoke, the Lord commanded, the Lord, or had commanded, and the Lord said. You'll just find it all over the place. You cannot miss that the the. The, throughout this book, the Lord is giving instructions to Israelites. He's giving instructions to the first generation, and he's giving instructions to the, later on to the new generation. He instructed them, uh, particularly uh, other things he instructed, he, he instructed them to take a census twice in chapter 1 and chapter 20, uh, 27, uh, or 26, around there. He instructed them to how to arrange their camp in tribes, that's uh, chapter 2. He instructed them on the laws for, for vows of a Nazarite in chapter 6. Uh, he instructed them to observe the Passover, uh, chapter 12, I believe. He instructed them to spy out the promised land, chapter 13, uh, and many others. It kind of just all these different commands. The Lord spoke, the Lord said, the Lord commanded, and then he gave their instructions, which is kind of interesting. And what, and what we will find as we study Numbers is that the people of God, the Israelites, have a constant access to the Word of God. They they have a constant access to God's Word. For God would would speak to His Word, and it would be revealed to the Israelites. 
not only did they uh, already, in fact, receive much of the law, because this is Numbers, so Leviticus is already taking place, and so is Exodus. And if you recall, if you ever read through the Bible, when you get to Exodus 20, all of a sudden you get the Ten Commandments. And then you get start getting a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules. And then Leviticus just like, it just explodes with laws. It's like this offering and that offering and that offering. All sorts of various offerings and various sacrifices and ways to be, remain clean, ceremonially clean, etc. And so there's all these laws that, that are given already before Numbers begins. But Numbers gives us even more. Even though it's a, mostly a narrative book, there is a lot of just sections where God has given them more of his law. And with each command, with each instruction from the Lord, the Israelites were expected to obey, right? Just as when we get, read God's word, we, we know that God wants us to obey them. And then at the beginning, especially with the first generation, they did obey. As we're going to see, sometimes it'll say, uh, the Lord commanded, and then they did exactly as God had commanded Moses. And those, it just, this, that phrase will come out, and you say, oh, they obeyed. They obeyed, and that's encouraging. But somewhere along the way, that first generation stops. They, they don't continue obeying God. And there's a lesson in this uh, for us as we see of their example. You know, having the Word of God is good, right? We have the Bible. In fact, we, we appreciate that the fact that the Bible has been translated into our own language. Think about people who, men and women who died to give us this Bible so that we could have the Bible even. And having the Bible is good. Hearing the Bible is even better. We have the opportunity to hear the Word of God or to read the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God. We have, if you, if you can't even, if you don't have eyes, you can have ears to hear. And there are a lot of radio programs, internets, uh, podcasts, etc. We have this great access to the Word of God. And those are all wonderful things. But to hear the Word of God, to have the Word of God, as great as that are, does not necessarily mean that we obey the Word of God. It doesn't always lead to that, does it? And that's a warning for us. Here at SF Bible Church, uh, we have the Bible. We have it plenty. I bet you we probably average each three or four Bibles in our homes. And that's not even counting the ones on our, on our devices. We have much access to the Bible. We, we regularly hear the Bible. We listen to the Bible. Many of you regularly read the Bible. The question for us and the challenge for all of us is, are we obeying the Bible? Do we follow the Bible? Because we're going to find that in the in this numbers that there is a great uh, there is a great consequence for that first generation when they choose not to obey God's word. If the Bible is God's word and it is, then we need to be faithful into seeking to obey His word. Now that's the because it's. It's from the Lord. He's the, first, he's the primary source of this book of Numbers. But we see also in this verse, first verse that there's a secondary uh, source. And that secondary source, of course, is the man named Moses. That the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. That whenever Israel heard the word of God, it was never directly from the Lord, but it was from the Lord to, through Moses. He would speak to Moses, and then Moses would speak to God's people just as we find in verse 1, where we find the Lord speaking, in Numbers, we're going to find that it's, it's the Lord speaking through Moses. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, appears like 40-some times. The Lord had commanded Moses uh, some 16 times. The Lord said to Moses about another 15 times. All throughout, wherever it says the Lord spoke, the Lord commanded, the Lord said, it's to Moses or through Moses or uh, given to Moses. Now, who is this Moses? I think most of us know who Moses is, but let me just quickly do a quick recap. Moses, as you recall, was the infant son of Hebrew slaves in Egypt, right? He was an infant son who lived in a time when infant sons were not allowed to live. So his mother, in desperation, basically cast him into the Nile River, made a little basket for him, cast him into the Nile River, uh, and where he was, by the grace of God, found by the daughter of Pharaoh. And the daughter of Pharaoh adopted Moses. She adopted him. And that uh, speaks just uh, that's a powerful picture there. And raises him up as her own son. And so Moses, who is this Hebrew slave, child of Hebrew slave, becomes and grows up to be a prince of Egypt. And as a prince of Egypt, he has great opportunity. And in the, uh, along the way, he, he murders a fellow Egyptian. He, flee, he flees because he angers Pharaoh. He flees to Midian. Midian's uh, uh, kind of just across the, uh, the, the Arabian desert there. And, and there he finds what he marries. He, he serves as a shepherd to his father-in-law. And while shepherding his flock uh, in the wilderness one day, the Lord calls to him through a burning bush on a mountain called, sometimes called Mount, it's often called Mount Sinai, but it's also called Mount Horeb uh, in some places. And so God calls Moses in the, in the wilderness to be his deliverer, messenger, prophet, and to be his deliverer who would deliver Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And of course, there's a little exchange there, but that's what Moses does. He agrees and he becomes basically God's prophet, the prophet of God. He is the pre, from that point on, uh, he, he goes back to Egypt and uh, there he through various miracles that he performs, um, resulting in the deliverance of, Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt. He leads, Egypt, he leads Israel out of Egypt, uh, through the Red Sea, and then into the, wilderness, into the wilderness, and then finally back to the wilderness of Sinai, which is right before Mount Sinai. And so that's, this is who Moses is. He was a great leader. And uh, uh, he would all... He's, He's, most, he's known as one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Moses was, uh, um, according to Deuteronomy 34.10, was unique among the prophets. He, was, he stood above the prophets in the sense that he was alone. He alone knew God face to face. That God would, could speak to other prophets, uh, usually through dreams or visions, but he would speak to Moses face to face. In his presence, not to say that he got he actually saw God's actual full glory, because even uh, even he could not bear that because the sinful man. They had, remember, he had to be put into the cleft of a rock so that he would only see the, the the back of the passing glory of God as God passed before him. But no, nevertheless, when God spoke to him, it was in a it was a is an in the presence of God, and that's how God spoke to him. Moses was the greatest prophet that ever lived. Uh, in, fact, and in, chap- in fact, to challenge his authority was a, was a significant sin. In chapter 12 of Numbers, we're going to see that Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, complain against Moses. Uh, they, he complained against his prophet, prophetic leadership. Was, has God basically spoken to Moses alone? Has he, hasn't God spoken through us too? I remember Aaron was basically served as uh, Moses' prophet as well. Um, 
But God then speaks in defense. While God makes himself known to them, he says this uh, to some in prophets and visions. He says about Moses, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings, and beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So Moses is, is, ele- is elevated. He's, and that's why even when we, in our call to worship this morning, when we read out Hebrews chapter 3, to have Jesus compare with Moses. Moses was the greatest prophet that ever lived in the in Israelite culture. So to compare with Moses and say that Jesus is greater, how much greater is Jesus then? He was greatly greater because he's even greater than Moses. Moses was being the greatest prophet. So when Moses speaks, he speaks as one who hears directly from the Lord. And to reject the words of Moses that he speaks to the Israelites is to reject the words of the Lord. Yet as great as the prophet Moses is, he was not perfect, was he? He too was a sinner. Uh, In Numbers chapter 20 that we're going to look at uh, somewhere along the way, the people grumbled. Because there was no water, and they grumbled many times, but they grumbled because there was no water. So the Lord basically spoke to Moses, and it told him to, to speak to a particular rock, basically to speak to a rock so that it would then yield water for the Israelites. But Moses, instead of speaking to the rock in his anger, he struck the rock with his staff, and water came out. But as a, as a consequence, Moses was punished, in a sense, by God by not being allowed to bring Israel into the promised land. He would die in the wilderness. In fact, he would be the last to die in the wilderness before the Israel, the new next generation would enter the promised land. So Moses was a great prophet. So we kind of just, that's in, through whom God spoke his word to his people. And there are no more prophets today because thank, thankfully we have the completed revelation of God. We have the completed scriptures. Uh, we have this inspired and inerrant word of God. And in a sense, but God still uses men as well as women to speak his word. Uh, they, are, they are teachers of our, of our Sunday school classes. They are uh, preachers of God's word. They're, they lead our fellowship groups. And we need to remember that when these, God uses these teachers in our lives, when they speak God's word, we ought to heed it for what it is. Not as the word of men or women, but as the word of God when they speak God's word. Now, if they're speaking their opinion, you can, you know, you can choose to ignore them or you can choose to listen to them. That's your choice. But when they speak God's word, we better heed them. Whether we like them or not, if they're speaking God's word, we ought to heed because it's God's word. And as we study the book to get this book together in the months ahead, let us respond to numbers for what it is. It's the word of God. It's God's word. And, uh, and I want to add, though, because uh, we're going to look at some of the instructions. And some of these instructions were meant and designed for the nation Israel in that period in time. It was a part of the Old Covenant, in fact. And so some of them will no longer be applicable to us in the sense that Christ is, has fulfilled the law. But we will learn, nevertheless, principles from the text, principles about the laws uh, that will teach, be instructive to us. And we're going to learn from examples from the text that we will follow. Because um, that's what, uh, as Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, is why these things were written down. They're written down for our instruction as examples to us today. So that's, the, so that's the source of Moses. It's from God. It's God's word, and it's from through the prophet Moses. So let us heed this word of God. The second introductory matter that equips us for further study of numbers is this, and that's the setting of numbers, the setting of numbers. So there's three aspects of the very setting that I want to take a look at this morning. 
the setting of numbers. Um, and again, it's just, we can take it from verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying... We can make several observations about the setting of this book, three particularly. And first of all, I want to look at the chronological setting, if you will, the chronological aspects of this setting. The book begins with God speaking to Moses here. Notice the the date. He's speaking on the first of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. That's that's the date. That's when this the very first date that's mentioned in this book is when we see the is marks the beginning of, of the book of Numbers. Um, you may recall in um, Exodus chapter 12 that Passover, when God instituted Passover for the Israelites while they were in Egypt, he told them that this Passover would be basically the beginning of your year. It would reset your calendar. Whereas, you know, this is now your January. This is your, this, this Passover will mark, whenever Passover happens, that's though it's on the, on the uh, 14th, 15th of the month, that would be your January month, this Passover. It was such a significant moment in the life of, of Israel. Uh, and so that marked their first year when they celebrated it uh, in Egypt. According to Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, Israel had arrived three months after leaving Egypt uh, at Mount Sinai. And, they had, so, and then in Exodus chapter 40, verse 2, we learned that on the first day of the first month, and presumably the second year, so... Uh, one year completely after the institution of, uh, of the Passover, that's when the Israelites complete the tabernacle. So from the third, month after le- the third month after leaving Egypt, I know I should give you a chart, I'm sorry, I just realized that now. A third month after leaving Egypt till the, the beginning of the next year was a time of receiving the law of Moses and then particularly building the tabernacle. And so they completed the tabernacle on that first year of uh, having celebrated Passover. So how significant that, and they, and they dedicated the, the tabernacle. So Numbers begins exactly one month after the tabernacle is completed. One month, one year, uh, one month and one year after uh, the, the Passover was first celebrated. And when we read in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, there we can find that there, the, when the tabernacle was completed, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We're going to elaborate this on a little bit later. But most importantly, the description, the time frame is that the Israelites here are no longer slaves in Egypt. It's the second year after they had come out of land of Egypt. And that's significant. These Israelites have been delivered. They have been redeemed. They have been set free from their slavery. And we all... Well, we, we are familiar how the, setting, the Israelites setting free from Egypt has become a, a symbol, almost a, a type of the salvation that each of us experience and when we are set free from our slavery to sin. We're delivered from sin. We're delivered from slavery to, to sin in Jesus Christ. And so there's a, there's a kind of that, uh, that parallel, that uh, symbolic parallel that happens uh, in throughout the scriptures. They are his people now. They are chosen, and they are the, his chosen nation. Nothing they do or nothing they don't do will change that for them. That's significant because he will give them instructions, and he will give them commands. And you would think that, you know, if it was me, if, you know, if you were a, if you're a boss, you know, you, you chose somebody to be your employee, 
and you gave them instructions and, and then they didn't follow any of it, would you keep them as your employee? You would fire them as first opportunity you get. You got to check with HR first, but then you fire them, okay? Because they're not following commands. Thankfully, God does not work that way. Thankfully, even though God's people will sin and fail and don't follow his instructions, don't follow his commands, once he has chosen them, he will be faithful to them to the end. And that's what we find in this book of Numbers. Though the Israelites, especially that first generation, are going to fail God time and time again. That second generation is going to fail him at times too, actually. In fact, no one's perfect. Every, our generation is going to fail him. But in each case, no, we fail the Lord. God remains faithful. Because why? Because he's already delivered you. He's already redeemed you. He's already chosen you. You are his. And you're, you belong to him. And he's, you're never going, no matter what you do or don't do, is going to change the truth of your redemption in Christ. And that's uh, the chronological setting, kind of some encouraging devotional thoughts on that. Um. God, oh, let me just add, God expects their obedience, though. He does. Now, and, but not as a requirement for their deliverance, but as a response to the deliverance. And that's significant. And for us, when we obey God's word, it's not because God want, needs, we need to do that so that we can be delivered, but it's because a response of the fact that we are saved and delivered from sin. Secondly, uh, there's the, in addition to chronological aspects, is the geographical aspects of the setting, the geographical setting of Numbers. And we learn in that first verse that Israel is now, God speaks to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, and that's in the Tent of Meaning. It is, the, it is this desert area, the wilderness. You know, when I used to think of wilderness, because I, um, I come from Washington State, you know, that's where I was, grew up for most of, well, actually, I was going to say most of my life, but no, most of my life is practically here nowadays. So, uh, but some earlier years, and I used to think when I hear wilderness, I thought forests. Anybody think that? But now, you know, I didn't think about it as, as being desert, basically desolate areas. That's what the word wilderness means. It's those, the areas that are desolate. And in the uh, Middle East, the desolate areas are basically the desert areas. So oftentimes we see the wilderness, you just kind of think desert, okay, desert. In the desert of Sinai, in the wilderness of Sinai, where there are basically just a lot of rocks and, I mean, a few brushes here and there, bushes here and there, but it's just, it's, it's a desert. Uh, it's the desert area surrounding Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai, if you recall, was where God had called Moses, where Israel had traveled to after the Exodus and arrived there at three months later. And there on Mount Sinai, Moses had received the law. Remember Exodus 20, all the way through Leviticus, all the, the law of God that they received, which included, of course, the instructions for the building of something called the Tent of Meeting, oftentimes called the Tabernacle. And it would be this Tent of Meeting, Tabernacle would be special because there God would dwell and meet with uh, that there God would dwell, and that there the people of God could meet with God. But there in the wilderness of Sinai, the Israelites built the tabernacle. They consecrated the priests who would serve in the tabernacle. And, and eventually, and, and as we're going to look in Numbers, they're going to travel from the wilderness of Sinai, and they're going to travel towards the promised land. So they're going to travel northeast towards uh, Israel. But along the way, at a place called Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea, that's going to be a significant place, due to their, their failure to trust God, they, did, they listened to the, the, the ten spies who said, don't go in the land, you know, it's going to be, there's giants there, we, we're going to die if we go in there. Uh, and they didn't listen to the two 
the two spies who gave good, who basically said, well, yes, there are giants there, but the land's flowing with milk and honey. Let's go and let's take the land because God said we're going to have the land. Let's trust God. And, but when the Israelites, they didn't trust him, they were judged by God to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And we read about this in Numbers 14, 33, 34 where God says to them, your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness, according to the number of days which you spied out the land. 40 days for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. So numbers, in, in a, with, not in great detail, but it covers this section. It records Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until they arrive again, once again, back at the plains of Moab, uh, essentially the same place where they had the opportunity to, where they tested the first, and their first generation was tested. They're going to come back to that same spot before the second generation enters the promised land. They are ready to enter the promised land. In the, and so that's the desert of Sinai is where, uh, is where most of this of uh, the book of Numbers takes place. But the, in the Bible, the desert and wilderness is a symbolic picture. It, it becomes a picture, it becomes a symbol. Uh, you can say a type, if you will. But it becomes a symbol of a place of testing. It becomes a symbol of a test of a place of preparation. Wherever uh, God's people are, are in the wilderness, it is usually a place of testing and preparation for what God calls them to do. You recall, uh, even, uh, of course, we see Israelite here being tested and prepared before entering the promised land. But John the Baptist, we, we know that he would minister where? In the desert, across the Jordan River. And there he was calling people to do what? To go there to be baptized so that they would prepare and be ready and to make way for the coming of the Lord. Jesus himself would be taken into the desert where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, where he's tested by, the Lord, by Satan and in preparation for his earthly ministry. And we already learned uh, from 1 Corinthians 10 that what happened to, to Israel in the wilderness was an, an example for us to learn. We all, uh, also read out of the, um, in Hebrews chapter 3 where the he, author of Hebrews says that he uses Israel's basically trial and testing as well as their failure in the wilderness as an exhortation then to God's people that he was writing to to guard themselves from an unbelieving heart. Don't be like those who wandered in the wilderness with, who, because they were wandered, because they had an unbelieving heart. They were tested and they were found lacking. And so they were, they were uh, they're conscious that they would wander around for 40 years. Um, so whenever uh, we uh, <clears throat> speak of times of, of trust, testing, times of trial, we, can, we often sometimes will use it, or we speak of it as times of being in the wilderness. And it's kind of, that's a very common uh, picture that we'll use, a word picture. But when we are in the wilderness, it's, time to be, it's a time for us to be diligent, to keep trusting in the Lord. That's whenever we find ourselves in times of testing, in times of wilderness, in times of, of uh, preparation, those are the times when we need to trust the Lord. And in, the, in many ways, the pandemic this past year and a half or so has caused the church to go through a period of, of wilderness, in my opinion. It has tested us. It, it has tempted us uh, in regard to our faith in the Lord. And, <clears throat> and uh, I hope that we have been responding with, with faith in the Lord, trust in the Lord during this pandemic, and, uh, and not out of uh, fearful withdrawal 
and trying to return, uh, turn back to our, our own ways. But even in a broader sense, it's not just a pandemic, but our whole lives really can be spoken of as, as a wilderness. And I, um, life in a fallen world is a full of testing. Uh, if you live long enough, you, you're just going to realize there's, there's so many times when uh, the life, uh, situations life are a test. They test our faith. And uh, I like what uh, the hymn writer, William Williams, he, he grasped this thought. And he penned, and he penned a hymn that really reflects this, uh, uh, these, this truth of, of how life can be a real wilderness. And that's the, that's the uh, I want to read for you the, the first stanza, this uh, great hymn. Uh, he says, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. And William's hymn reminds us, he just grasps some of this, this, the wilderness imagery. He grasps the lessons from Israel and the wandering. And he basically just re- summarizes it in this first stanza. He has four stanzas in the hymn. As, it's, as the wilderness is a time when we as the people of God must look to God. We must look to God always. We must keep our eyes on God. We must behold God. We must not lose sight of his word and with his, with his revelation to us. We must look to him because he's our guide. We must look to him because he's our source of strength. We must look to him because he's our protector. We must look to him because he's our provider. He's all these things to us in times of testing, in times of wilderness. But so often, as we know, we, we look to other things instead of God to guide us. We look to other things for strength. We look to other things to provide. We look to other things to protect. When God wants us in the midst of testing, in the midst of the wilderness, to look to him. God had given Israel, however, a very vivid reminder of his presence. They're not without excuse. He gave them his word, but he also gave them his presence. And as we see, this is the third, the third aspect of the setting of numbers is the theological aspect. The theolo- you notice in verse 1, it talks about God speaking to Moses in the wilderness sign as in the tent of meeting. In that picture, the tent of meeting just reminds us again that this is the tabernacle. The tent of meeting was in, among Israel the constant reminder of God's presence among the Israelites, the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 to 38, we read this. Listen to this description of what happened in the cloud of meeting when, when, uh, <clears throat> at, the, at the consecration of the, the tabernacle, the end of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the, the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. <clears throat> Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. That's what they saw. In the house of all of Israel, they would just look towards the tabernacle, and they would see a cloud there. It'd be a, a pillar of cloud by day. It'd be a pillar of fire at night. Everywhere you look, you would see that. You know, <clears throat> it's, there's, there's just nothing, there's nothing equivalent to this in our world. You know, during the daytime, we see the sun, but at nighttime, we don't see it. Maybe the moon, no, it's not always there. 
But something where here was a, a visible presence in their midst. They could see it in the, in the shape of a cloud, a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. And there it would, be, it would dwell on top of the tabernacle. And every time Israel would look at that, they would remind them, God is there. Not just God is there, God is with us. <clears throat> God is with us. For 40 years of Israel's wandering, God guided them through that pillar of cloud. And we just see this, we saw in Christian, basically when it would lift up, it was time for them to go. When it would, would not be lifted, it was time for them to camp and stay settled. That was how God was guiding them. In Numbers 2.2, we learned that the tribes of Israel, <clears throat> we see God gives them instructions to how to camp, basically how to set up their camps by various tribes. And what they were instructed to do is that they were to camp all around the tent of meeting. So the tent of meeting was in the middle of the Israelite of the Israelite tribes. <clears throat> not in the front, not in the back, not on the sides, but in the center of the Israelite people so that one cannot miss the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. And each time they saw it, they were reminded that God needs to be at the center of our lives. And he is constantly present. Now, and that's a constant reminder that we need to respond in light of that. We need to obey him. He's with us. For 40 years, he not only guided them, but he provided for them. He protected them. He directed them. He gave them food to eat in manna and quail. He gave them water to drink. He protected them from their enemies. The Lord's, and it's all because of his presence among them. For they were his people. What a, what a powerful testimony. Uh, what a powerful just sight for that for the nation of Israel. So these are some of the setting of numbers. And you just think that these, all keep, these are all things to keep in mind as we look at numbers and the, and the rest of the way. Uh, that God is always there with them. You kind of wonder, how, do, how could they forget? How could they forget? God's right there in your presence. And they have the law of God. They just have. But you know what? We have the, ball, law, law, the word of God too. The same thing happens to us. We have the word of God all the time. And yes, we don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a, we don't have a, a, te, um, a temple. We have something better. We have Christ dwelling in us. Spirit of God given as a seal of our salvation. We have Christ in us. The ultimate temple. The ultimate dwelling place of God. And yet we still too often forget that. And we, of course we have the completed word of God. So it's just these devotional thoughts just kind of just saying, wow, what happened? You know, when we look at, when we study the Israelites, don't be too quick to judge them. I know sometimes we like scratch our heads. All they had to do was just trust God, go in there, and man, it'd be over. But how many times do we disobey God and that just takes us for a loop and then we just kind of run in circles for a while, for a long time until we realize I'm in a cycle of sin. I need to check this so I can get all this cycle of sin and go walk back with the Lord. It just takes some time. And there's consequences to our sin, too. There's times where we, we have to, we're forced to, because of our sin, to, we, we've grown weak. And we cannot serve as we, we may have once did. We cannot be involved in the, life of the, of, uh, in the life of the church as we perhaps had once did. And so we all know that sin's going to take you out. But for everyone who's a believer in God, if a follower of God, there's always God's faithfulness. That always, it will never forsake you. The promise he's made to you and me, he's going to keep. You move on. Um, so those are the first two, and those are the ones I want to spend the most time on. 
But uh, there's three, two more introductory matters, and they're pretty short ones, uh, at least in my notes they're short. And the third one is our, the structure of numbers. The structure, this is simply the outline. The outline of numbers is marked off by two, by two points, really. Two, two, and they're marked off by two censuses. One in chapter 1, the other one in chapter 26. Chapter 26. Chapter 1 and chapter 26. Two almost identical censuses, and they, they count the BC, the, the number of, uh, of adult males in, in, the, uh, in Israel. And they come, they essentially, it's kind of interesting, they essentially come out the same. Uh, but, uh, and so we can divide the book, of, uh, the book of Numbers according to these uh, two of these two sections marked off by, the, by these two censuses. And the first 25 chapters focus on the first generation. The first generation that is basically at Mount Sinai, and they're about ready to, they're on the cusp of entering into the promised land. They're going to march towards the promised land as uh, God's going to lead them there, and they're going to have opportunity to trust the Lord and enter in and conquer the land. From the, but, as, but what happens is that they fail. They don't trust God. They listen to men, and therefore they... Uh, they end up wandering around for 40 years. Then the second part of the of Numbers is going to be chapters 26 to 36, where another census is called. It's a new generation. Everybody that was 20 and older died in the wilderness. And so this was a new generation where uh, they have to be counted again. They're given instruction again and uh, before entering into the promised land once more. And they are given instructions there. Uh, and where in contrast to the failure of the first generation, this generation responds in faith. They're not perfect, mind you, but they respond in faith. Also in these uh, the latter chapters, the, in, prep, in, the, in the rise of the new generation, the old, old leaders pass away. We'll see Miriam dying, Aaron dying, and eventually, and though we don't see Moses' death until Deuteronomy 34, uh, a new leader is appointed. In, in numbers, and then that new leader would be Joshua, who would, who would take on the mantle of Moses to lead Israel into the promised land. The actual entrance into the promised land, of course, isn't marked off in numbers. It would be completed in Deuteronomy. But what we see here, it, it, I like how it ends that way. It's sort of open-ended, and it kind of is, in a sense, an example for you and me. Even as we have been redeemed, and we, have, we are yet to see the promised land yet, in a sense, we're yet to arrive in heaven, but there's opportunities for us. There's a choice for us. Will we respond, be people of faith? Will we follow God's ways? Will we trust in him for life so that we will be able to ex- enter into the promised land and experience all that God wishes for us? Anyways, uh, that's, that's, simply the out, that's the basic outline of numbers. And there's a lot more details in between, uh, but I think that's kind of a, a helpful uh, outline. Then fourthly, uh, when, we do, when we do our Old Testament survey, we always talk about Christ in the book. And so I want to talk about the Savior in Numbers. Do we uh, find the Savior in the book of Numbers? Uh, Luke 24, 27, we read of, what, uh, of how uh, when the risen Christ, he was talking to the two disciples of Emmaus, what did he say? He said, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he began with Moses. That's the first five books, right? And you can include in that in Numbers as well. And so Jesus taught those two disciples all the things concerning himself from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, as well as Numbers, and so on. And in Numbers, we're going to see several. We can kind of uh, we're going to see several places where probably Jesus used because we never we don't know exactly what he said, but where Jesus might have used those point, places to point say this. See here, this points to me. The most well known, uh, perhaps in all of the Numbers, is must be or is likely Numbers chapter twenty one. 
Numbers 21. Uh, there, uh, it was one of those occasions where the people of God once again complained. There's a lot of grumbling complaining. So if you're going to get, you know, by the way, if, you, if you're a grumbler complainer, uh, get ready to be convicted, okay? Because uh, Numbers is going to do that. And let's be honest, we're all grumbling and complaining at times. Right? So, uh, and that's, a, that's, that's it, you're going to see it often in Numbers. They were grumbling and complaining. And when they complained, God then sent these fiery serpents in, the snakes, that bit, that bit them and, and killed many Israelites. So they then turned to Moses, oh, Lord, oh, Moses, I'll save us. Find out what we can do to be saved. And so Moses went to the Lord, and God, in his grace, provided a way of salvation, deliverance from those fiery serpents. And we read here, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, that's a pole, and it shall become about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So it was this really strange kind of a, a strange miracle, really, that, to, that God gave him this, this really, it's a, a ritual, an outward thing that they would learn, that the Israelites, if they would look to this bronze serpent of all, you know, maybe because it pictured, uh, pictures the, the serpents that God had sent among them, somehow by faith in God, by looking at what he, at the bronze serpent, then God would heal them of their of their uh, of their bite, and uh, and be safe and and live. Uh, so, but what that means? Well, we see that picked up in John chapter three. Jesus' words, John chapter three, verse fourteen to fifteen. As Mo- Jesus said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. So Jesus Himself takes. The, takes Numbers 21, and he applies it to himself. Just, just as that was, when they looked at the bronze serpent, so the Son of Man must be also lifted up on a standard. It's the picture of his, it's his crucifixion he's talking about. So that all, so that basically whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith in Jesus, in his death on the, on the, for their sake, will have eternal life. So that's kind of just one of his, uh, num- probably the most clear uh, picture of Jesus, of the Christ and the Savior in Numbers. The tent of meeting is another one of them, really. It's a constant reminder that, uh, that being in the center of Israel's camp is a, uh, it's a type of Christ. Uh, the tabernacles where people would hear from God, would meet with God. And again, like, like I said earlier, though there's no tabernacle, no temple, we have Jesus now. Jesus is the ultimate uh, te- uh, uh, temple. Um, there will be no temple because we're going to end the in, in uh, the new heavens, new earth, because Jesus is our temple. Jesus will become the ultimate temple through which anyone can hear God, God's word. Anyone can know God and meet God through Jesus, who is, our, uh, who is not only the high priest, but he's the temple itself. He's the, the place through, through whom we can meet and know God. Um, so that's like just kind of, uh, those are two examples of where we see the Savior in Numbers. But uh, hopefully they, these things will prepare us for studying more numbers. You can read numbers again. Uh, take a, take, any, uh, take a, some, any one of these things and try to look for them when you read through numbers. Well, in conclusion, let me summarize. In the wilderness of life, God is faithful to his people. And we must be faithful to trust the Lord and obey his word. And that's, that, that's what we're going to learn in numbers going ahead, in the months ahead. How is life testing your faith? Uh, you've, there's probably all of us who experiencing various tests of our faith at different times. And so the question for us is, how, what do you turn 
in times of testing. Whom are you turning to? Are you turning to things? Are you turning to others? Are you turning to yourself? Or are you turning to God? And, and if you're, you know, maybe you may be struggling and wrestling, you, what God's Word teaches is we need to keep our eyes and our faith and trust in the Lord. So what can you do to keep your eyes on the Lord? And his word. What kind of things can you do? What kind of practical things can you do? Perhaps it's more reading his word. Maybe it's reading a particular book. Maybe it's sharing with someone else, another person, brother, sister, so that you can get the help. They can help you and encourage you to think about God and to keep God at the center of your life. Remember, just like the tent of meeting was in the center of Israel's community throughout the wilderness, well, Jesus needs to be the center of our lives throughout the wilderness of life. Let's pray. Uh, I invite our brother Vincent to come up and uh, lead us the final song. Father, thank you so much for uh, for this introduction into the book of Numbers, and pray that you would uh, cause us to be people who see your faithfulness throughout as we study this book. Help us to be people who respond in faith in the midst of testings and trials in the wilderness of life. And God, we we thank you for the example uh, that's set for us. The, this book of Numbers, the instructions. Help guard us from having a heart of unbelief, but teach us instead to encourage one another to constant faith and following you and keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. We thank you for Jesus, the greater Moses, the, the greater uh, tabernacle, the one who ultimately allows all everyone who puts their faith in him to have access to you, to know your will, to know your word, to experience the fullness of, of what it means to be, belong to you. Thank you, God, that for your faithfulness to us, that you never forsake us even when we fail. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the, the book of Numbers. And we pray that you would uh, continue to teach us in the months ahead. These things we pray in Jesus' name.